Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of Lactoons Intolerant, the show where I, your host, Josh, talks about whatever animated piece of media that he wants to that day. I started off that sentence with a lot more confidence than I ended it with. Maybe I need to think of the entire sentence instead of just the first half. Uh, Improving it doesn't always work out the best for me. Today, I watched Summer Wars. Now, he, this movie is is weird for me, right? This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I bought it on Blu-ray maybe a year ago, and I bought it on Blu-ray because I knew it was made by Mamoru Hosoda, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but I sure hope I am because I'm not going to look it up. So, <laughs> Mamoru Hosoda made my favorite of all time anime movie that isn't made by Studio Ghibli because Come on, it's competing against Princess Mononoke and Porco Rosso and, and Kiki's Delivery Service. So, like, it's got some steep competition, but it puts up a good fight against them. And that movie is Mirai. Mirai came out in 2018, and it was the first Mamoru Hosoda film that I had ever seen. It was one of the first anime films that I'd ever seen in theaters, especially, uh, that wasn't made by... <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki even I hadn't experienced the other Studio Ghibli movies that weren't directed by Hayao so what it competed against because it wasn't the first non-Ghibli movie I saw in theaters it was competing against Your Name um, I saw a rerunning of Akira and I actually I think it's just those two before that and then I saw Mirai and I saw other movies since then but <laughs> if you've uh, even dipped your toe into the anime movie community uh you've heard of your name <laughs> you have absolutely heard of akira and uh you've probably also heard of ghost in the shell which i've seen since because it took me a weirdly long amount of time to watch ghost in the shell i don't know what that was about i didn't regret watching it it was a fantastic movie and we're definitely talking about it. oh uh i'd also seen perfect blue i knew there was a third one i was thinking of perfect blue and that's another great movie now when people ask me what my favorite director is i have a hard time with that question because there are a lot of people that i have seen a lot of projects from and they have not missed for me a single time uh you got taika watiti you got edgar wright edgar wright made baby driver which is one of my favorite movies of all time he made scott pilgrim which while it used to be one of my favorite movies when i was like 14 uh isn't anymore but every time I watch it, and I'm at a different point in my life, I watch it maybe once a year, uh, it has a different impact on me. I get something different from the film. Like before, I used to idolize Scott, and I used to think he was cool when I was a stupid teenager. And then I realized the entire point of the movie is that Scott is an awful, terrible person, and you should be nothing like Scott. And then it's, hmm, maybe Scott is redeemable, even though he's a bad person. And it's just a movie with layers. And Edgar Wright, everything he fucking does is perfect like that. Uh, I, as much as a first-year film student as it sounds like, I really enjoy Quentin Tarantino movies. I don't really support the man behind them, but goddamn, the, the guy makes a good movie. They're fun to watch. You got Kill Bill, you got Django, <sighs> fucking Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was one of my favorite movies to see in theaters, like opening weekend. I had a great time seeing that. I sat outside the theater with the friend that I went and saw it with, and we just talked about it for like two hours before we went home. We stood on a sidewalk and just talked about how good that movie was, and then I went and saw it again a couple more times in theaters. It, it's fantastic. Uh, who have I mentioned so far? Watiti, right? Uh, Tarantino. I would say Miyazaki is definitely on that list. He, 
Uh, you heard me raving about him in pretty much every single one of those reviews. Not a single bad movie from Hayao Miyazaki. But somebody I don't think I've ever answered that question with is Mamoru Hosoda. And I've said it different every time. And it's I'm just going to say Hosoda for now on. Because saying the whole name is <laughs> stressing me out. I'm worried about mispronouncing it. Especially when I'm singing this man's praises and I don't even care enough to pronounce his name properly. Shit. Uh, the only movie I'd seen from Hosoda, oh, before I get to that, Satoshi Kon, he's another great anime director, he made Perfect Blue, Paprika, Millennium Actress, fantastic films from a more twisted adult mind, so that's, that's exciting, Perfect Blue in particular being one of the standout anime hits that a lot of people have heard of, so Hosoda is somebody I've never actually answered that question with, even though... If you have asked me for anime movie recommendations, if you've asked me what Studio Ghibli movies you should watch, you know that I've told you to watch Mirai. And I was gonna watch Mirai for today's episode, because I love that movie so much. We already recorded an episode of Spoiled Milk that won't be coming out for a while, uh, about another, my other comfort movie. I have two of them, and... When that episode comes out, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about, but it'll be a while because we did record a backlog of like three or four weeks, so we would never run out of episodes if we had to miss a week. So while it was practical and planning, being able to reference it when it won't come out for another few more weeks or even like up to a month if everything is on schedule right, uh, doesn't make it easy. But Mirai is a comfort movie for me. If I'm ever feeling in a negative place or I'm down and depressed... Yeah, there are sev several <laughs> Studio Ghibli movies I could watch, but for some reason I always just want to watch Mirai. It's simple, and it's beautiful in its own little way that just really captured me when I saw the trailers for it and made me want to go see it in theaters, and when I watched it with a friend, it was like just an eye-opening experience of, wait a second, there's a lot of other good anime that isn't made by Studio Ghibli, it was one of the first big breakthrough movies for that, because if you're thinking about something like Akira, that is a, uh, that, that's a very old movie, it's a classic, like the entire anime industry works off of and references Akira constantly, so it's more like a foundation instead of something I'd say is up to date, it's a, it's a fantastic film, but also, it's, not my favorite film. I admire it as like an art piece and a masterpiece of the genre, but it's not my favorite film. It's not something I specifically connect to, if that makes sense, even though it... Well, we'll talk about Akira at some point, too, so I'm not going to harp on it too long. And uh, Your Name is a romance, and it hit really big for people because it was like an adult anime movie with an interesting plot, and it was like, yeah, okay, it's a love story. It's a good well-thought-out love story, and it's a fantastic film. It's literally a masterpiece, maybe one of the very few perfect movies that exists in this world. But also, as much as I love that movie and I love watching it with people, it didn't really connect with me. And if you've listened to the last two episodes of this show specifically, uh, The Mitchells vs. the Machines and Infinity Train Book 1, then you know that sometimes with media, I just kind of connect to it. I feel like something, the voice it's speaking in, hits me in a very specific way that I connect to. And for some reason, Mirai is that movie above most other animated movies that I've watched. 
Mitchells versus the Machines was an amazing, amazing movie. And the modern setting and the situations that the characters go through feels very one-to-one. -one. It's like somebody was making a movie about me, and then they had to change it so the teacher couldn't catch them cheating, so they adjusted minor things and added a robot apocalypse or something. And that one-to-oneness is very binary and easy to understand. But a movie like Mirai hits me in that same way, and I get those same emotionally overwhelmed feelings watching it, and I can't explain to you why. So, while I really wanted to talk about Mirai today, I decided I'm gonna watch Summer Wars, the only other Blu-ray I own of a Mamoru Hosoda film. <laughs> I cannot say that name right, it ends in a U. How am I supposed to pronounce it? Mamoru? Mamoru? It's the only other Hosoda film that I own. So I thought it's a nice summer day. I'm sitting here with my cat. There's brownies uh, cooking in the oven. It smells lovely. It's a great day. I have the whole day to myself. I'm actually going to a barbecue later tonight. So that's like fantastic. I'm just in a good mood. I'm having a good day, right? So why not give another movie a try? And I decided Summer Wars, based primarily because it was summer, and because I remembered, oh yeah, the guy that made Mirai made this. Oh my god, you guys. This movie is fucking fantastic. And... <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Alright, have you ever seen Digimon the movie? <laughs> if you haven't, just tune out for a second, because this is going to be some weird, incoherent rant. When I first got YouTube on the Wii through the Opera web browser, when they first added an internet to the Wii and the eShop... Uh, one of the first things I did was look up Digimon, because as a kid, I had very many special interests, and among those were Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Dinosaurs, Resident Evil, and Digimon. And this was during the period of my younger life where I was spending a lot of time designing Digivices and designing new Digimon, and when I found out there was a Digimon the movie and that I could stream the entirety of it on YouTube because somebody had pirated it and uploaded it, and I could just watch it whenever I wanted, you do not understand the amount of times I've watched the Digimon movie. And I'm going to talk about it one day. One day we're going to do a whole thing on Digimon. There will be a month where it is exclusively Digimon uploads, so you better prepare your fucking selves for that right now. But... The Digimon movie is three OVAs set in different times across the series, and what's weird about the fact that they're combined into one movie for the American release is because they were never intended to be together. An OVA is an original video animation. It's supposed to be released on home video as sort of an add-on when somebody buys a season of an anime or something similar. So. When the Pokemon movie got big, the the company that was in charge of Digimon, I'm not, I think it was Toei at the time, they combined the three movies so it would be the length of an American movie, added a short about Angela Anaconda to the beginning of it where she digivolves into Angela Mon, and they just shipped it and they pretended it was one movie and they changed some of the dialogue and edited some of the scene orders so it kind of almost fit as a coherent movie. Like they added one scene foreshadowing the third OVA to I believe it was between the first and the second ones. So when you see these new characters for the first time in the third OVA, you're like, oh yeah, they, they referenced that. That's kind of intended. And as a child, I didn't see this hodgepodge piece of garbage <laughs> that they were trying to pass off as a movie as the hodgepodge piece of garbage that it was. I saw 
all of my favorite characters, a bunch of cool, high-quality animated Digimon fights, and just <laughs> a long time. Like the time bar at the bottom of YouTube, I, that, it was longer than a Digimon episode by quite a bit, and that made me very excited. So I watch it, and the first section is about like how they all met. It's like a prequel, and it's really cool. And then the third section is about this uh, orphan Digimon, and <laughs> like it gets evil and corrupted. I don't give a shit about the third part. I uh, that is the part I believe that has that one song where it's like the the bare naked lady song. I think it's the bare naked ladies, and it's like it's been one week, and also Smash Mouth is in it. It's got a banger of a soundtrack straight up. It's like a kids' bop CD of like hits from that time, but they're not sung by that annoying man and his gaggle of child goblins. So it's genuinely a good soundtrack to capture the feel of the 90s. But the second movie, oh, that second movie, it's called Our War Games. And a summary of the plot is that there is a virus Digimon that has taken over all of the electronics in the world and is essentially trying to take over the internet and destroy everything that runs on it. And uh, Ty... <laughs> and Matt, they are the only two left that have contact with their Digimon. They can't get a hold of anyone else because the whole internet's being taken over. And they have to send their Digimon into the digital world to destroy the virus Digimon and save the internet. And how they achieve this is by having their Digimon fuse into a super overpowered Digivolved version that we've never seen before. And that was the coolest shit to my young brain. And they still lose. The virus is too powerful. It has literally the power of the entire internet. And everybody is watching this on a grand scale. Anybody in their homes can watch it and see it happening. And they see our heroes lose. And they see the Digimon falling to their death. And that's when the entire planet joins in and starts mass emailing the virus so it will lag, causing its server to crash so the Digimon that are on the good guys team can finally kill it and save the world. Because the thing took over nuclear launch codes, and it was going to kill everybody. And it takes everybody on the internet joining together and finding this techie way to beat the machine at its own game. And, oh my god, for a <laughs> half-hour Digimon short, that was a fucking sick concept. <laughs> you start off the movie with, oh, we were just kids and we found a Digimon egg, and then halfway through it, it's nuclear holocaust being threatened by a virus that literally just wants to kill humanity. What? What an insane leap to go through for two episodes of a quote-unquote movie. I, I loved that. I ate that shit up. You know who directed that? Mamoru Hosoda. Yeah, you know who just found that out today? You know who found that out today when he fucking started looking shit up before this recording session? <laughs> Turns out, I've been a Mamoru Hosoda fan for fucking over a decade now. <laughs> This is bullshit and I feel conned. Why was I not watching these movies sooner? Okay, Summer Wars is that Digimon episode. Straight up. It literally... Okay. <laughs> Summer Wars is an hour... I don't even know the fucking runtime off the top of my head. Like an hour and a half, uh, maybe two hours runtime version of that. <laughs> they took the Digi They took one third of the Digimon movie and made it into a full feature length film. <laughs> 
You guys cannot understand how much joy I got from this product. It does the whole bait and switch too. I didn't know what I was getting into. I saw Summer Wars as a title, and the first thing I pictured was something like like fucking water gun fights. I thought it would be some lighthearted slice of life thing. And then uh, I read the box and it was like, oh, uh, machines, and I kind of just skimmed it. I didn't want to like read through the description. And I was like, oh, okay, so maybe it's like a, like an internet thing. I don't know. And I just threw it in. I, I didn't know what to expect. And it starts off slow. It's uh, this boy getting tricked into coming to visit a girl's family because it's her great-grandma's birthday. And the great-grandma is very, very old. And she just wanted to see that mm, this, this girl, Natsuki, had a good husband or like a good boyfriend somebody that could potentially be a good husband and the whole extended family is coming in here and he has to pretend to be the the boyfriend that's the plot that it sets up in the beginning and it makes sense like that's a movie i've seen movies like that it seems like something akin to uh, a silent voice or even your name just one of those anime teen romance movies and i was like all right i'm down for this i enjoy these these ones are, are pretty good usually and um <laughs> about three-fourths of the way through the film <laughs> guess what's being threatened again <laughs> it's nuclear genocide <laughs> the movie opens with this if you've seen Ready Player One, just picture that. But this opening where it's like, this is the Oz. It's the virtual world and everything is done through it. Businesses outsource all their work here so everything can commute digitally. And uh, all entertainment is synced up through this. And GPS and like all of the world's internet systems are combined into one glorious thing. It's not VR like Ready Player One, but um, I'm okay with letting that little slip happen because it's also not incredibly sexist and incelly. so like it's actually a good product and not just really weird reference humor based around a man child that just really wants hot girls to fuck him because he's good at video games so like i mean th there's definitely a good trade-off there i'm willing to just <laughs> forego the sense of well how are they getting so involved with their uh, computer characters if they're not in a vr or any more interactable format than just a mouse and keyboard but that's that's fine you don't have to everything in the computer world is a metaphor is what i just kind of had to tell myself after it kept not making sense it <laughs> it doesn't make sense but uh essentially an ai created by okay here's another weird thread everybody important just happens to be related to Natsuki, the girl. So <laughs> everything involved in this world-ending plot by an AI uh, also just happens to be related to Natsuki and that great-grandmother. They're... I, I, I don't know. You, you, you kind of just have to accept some things, I think. I'm not a I'm not a super nitpicky person when it comes to movies that I love. Like, <laughs> does School of Rock have problems? Yes. Does that make it any less than the most perfect pinnacle of film that's ever been created? No. So... Natsuki's adopted uncle uh, invented an AI for the sole purpose of having it hack into people's computers, and then uh, he sold that AI to the United States military, and the United States military thought to themselves, hmm, what do we do with this highly advanced AI that sees breaking systems as a game? Because that's what it was programmed to do. This AI 
doesn't have any hatred or any ulterior motives. He just likes to win. He looks at everything as a game, and uh, his whole purpose is to win that game, whether the game is hacking into somebody's account by, like, just brickwalling their PC, or if it is nuking the people that are beating you in a game of Hanafuda so that they can't take away the accounts you stole back so you can continue nuking the rest of the world. I told you, it gets out there. Um, but the reason that the uncle did that, it's revealed because he, he was adopted by the great-grandmother to be a part of the family. And um, the family used to have a lot of money. And the grandpa that was married to the great-grandma, he, uh, he spent all the money. All of it's gone. So this machine AI was supposed to be sold to the military so he could repay his debt to the great-grandmother. Um, family drama ensues. There are some heavy emotional beats where it's just like, damn, <laughs> these people don't treat each other super well and they don't hear each other out. And that is realistic. Families don't do a great job of communicating sometimes. So I, I, I completely understand that. But it comes down to a situation where the there's a young boy and his name is Kazuma and he is the master at PvP in this game. He, he is able to defeat anybody in the combat in the game and we find out later this is because his his grandfather taught him shaolin kung fu on oz so i don't know how that translates to both the fact that uh you can do shaolin kung fu on a computer and that he knows it in person also with perfect form so um this little boy is a martial arts genius and because he knows martial arts he is a master at video games. So again, you have to accept that the internet works however it is supposed to for the movie because the technology for this in 2009 was not as realized as we have now. Now you could probably rig up a VR suit and karate kick the shit out of somebody. But in 2009, that was a distant dream. As the resident king of combat, this small child is tasked with 1v1ing the AI that was set loose into Oz's server by the boyfriend. His name is Kenji. He's the main character. I don't know why it's taken me this long to call him anything other than the boyfriend, but Kenji is a math genius, and he got a text one day from Oz, and it was like a bunch of numbers, and it said, good luck, solve this puzzle, and uh, he did it because he's a math genius, and he accidentally let the AI into the servers because what the AI was having him do was uh, crack the master password, like to decrypt. In It's just a bunch of computer jargon. It doesn't matter. But basically, Kenji allowed it in. We find out later he didn't actually let it in. There were like 23 other people that also figured it out, and Kenji had a typo, so it didn't really count as that. But Kenji's account was the first one to be stolen, and the AI framed him as being the one to take down Oz. So, like, it's kind of a big warning, which I think was it was a good warning to have in 2009, of uh, the overreach tech companies might have and uh, the dangers of having everything synced up over wireless protocols to the internet. Like, um... Oh, just uh, spitballing here, GPSs that ambulances use, uh, the entire control of, like, traffic through, like, streetlights and stuff, um, medical databases, nuclear missiles, uh, satellites, basically everything that uh, you could use to threaten or hurt somebody, like, 
the AI at one point literally just cuts off ambulances, so they 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 can't help people, and then it uh, trashes traffic, so they're stuck in traffic and cannot go anywhere. So, uh, very very forward very forward thinking, Soda. He got. Got any other tips? Are you saying that the over this this was a theme in Mitchell's versus the machines too? The overreach of tech companies and how uh, people don't value their privacy or online security enough, and the threats that come with that. This video is sponsored by no. <laughs> I don't have any sponsors other than Anchor, and I haven't been putting any of those in in Lactoons and Tolerance because I don't want to bog it down with ads in the beginning of the series. So. Um, if I did get a VPN sponsor though, that would have been the perfect place to put it though. Can you, can you imagine like how, how amazingly that would have flowed when now I'm just stalling over it for no reason, even though I'm not making money from it. This is even worse than ads. I talk shit about how much I hate ads and now I'm just making you listen to me talking about how great an ad here would be compared to what's happening. This is some meta shit. <laughs> Kazuma has to 1v1 uh, the, 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 the virus or the, the AI. Its name is Love Machine. Kazuma has to, has to 1v1 Love Machine, and uh, he kicks its ass, but then it starts stealing more profiles, and that makes it stronger somehow. It, like, it, it eats other people's avatars, which I guess gives them their data, and as it takes profiles it gains whatever those profiles were linked to. So, like, since people work online, the there's a guy that works the water main, and it eats his account, and now it controls the water main, I think is how it explains it. So it eats a bunch of profiles, gains a lot of access that Kazuma just doesn't have, so it's essentially just cheating, and uh, then it kicks his ass. So... <laughs> I, I okay that's like maybe a third of the way into the movie that's that's what we've covered so far <laughs> and there's a lot more like family drama and stuff that happens outside of that and other plot points that i'm leaving out to try to explain just the insanity of the fact that they turned a 40 minute digimon short into a, a full movie without any digimon in it <laughs> And any Digimon characters or any reference to Digimon, it's literally just the same director telling the same story in his own little universe. I don't know if these movies are connected. That'd be cool if they were. Not everything has to be a cinematic universe, though. I think, like, Disney references, like like in Pixar movies, you see, like, Nemo or the, the, the Luxo Ball, I think is what it's called, in, like, every other movie or whatever. Like, that's cool. But, like... Not everything needs to be MCU. Any character could just walk in at any moment with the right billing. I, I, I prefer it much better when they're singular, well-thought-out things that just have slight references to each other. Like the movie that followed Your Name has a cameo for both of the characters from Your Name in the background. And it's implied that it takes place at a point in Your Name when they hadn't actually like met yet, which is really cool. So it's like, yeah, but then that movie's ending... <laughs> heavily affects the future of the your name characters if they are in the same universe so it's like hmm i don't i don't know if i like that they're actually connected but i could see mirai being in the same universe everything here's the thing about hosoda films from what i've gathered from watching three of them if we're counting the digimon movie he starts things off simple and then things snowball very fast into high concept chaos 
And that's something you don't really get from something like a Miyazaki film. Miyazaki films are in well-made, lived-in worlds. And they have their ideas set out and available to you at the beginning. You know what to expect because the world makes sense. <laughs> Hosoda movies do not make sense. Which is why I feel he would have been perfect for directing Howl's Moving Castle. If you remember, in my review of Howl's Moving Castle, I said that there was another person who was supposed to work on the movie, and then, due to time constraints, Miyazaki ended up taking over. Guess who that person was? It was fucking Hasoda. <laughs> he was tasked with making the Howl's Moving Castle movie, and he was told to make it just like Miyazaki, and he didn't want to. He wanted to make his own movie, which I completely respect. Having creative control over something that you do is very important and valuable. So when he didn't make something that they wanted or felt was Miyazaki enough, Miyazaki took over. But I talked about in my review that I thought Howl's Moving Castle felt like the most disconjointed, like... It has a good world. It's well realized. There's a lot in it. But also, there's a lot more random fuck you bullshit in that one than any other movie. And <laughs> with how much I love Mirai and how much I love Summer Wars now, I can't wait to watch this one again. There's a lot of random fuck you bullshit in soda films. <laughs> and it's all good. It's all good random fuck you bullshit. So... I think he would have done a great job with Howl's Moving Castle. I think it might have even been a better movie than it was. Come at me, everybody who says Howl's Moving Castle is their favorite Ghibli movie. All right, that might have inspired some needless conflict. Um, I do very much enjoy Howl's Moving Castle. I believe it is a great film. But it ain't got shit on Porco Rosso, baby! I really hurt my hand when I did that. That's going to peak some audio levels. The point I'm trying to get across is... Uh, Hasoda makes very unique films and he has a level of quality that to me is just slightly under that level of Miyazaki Studio Ghibli polish that you see in stuff like Princess Mononoke and I think some in some instances I would rather watch a Hasoda film because there is more unique stuff in them their higher concept, they don't explain themselves as clearly. They leave a lot more to interpretation. I know a big thing about Spirited Away is that no face isn't really explained. You're left to extrapolate and figure out your own idea of what no face is to represent, whether it's greed or fear or toxicity in the workplace. So in this movie, there's a lot more stuff doesn't make sense. <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons that Mirai and now Summer Wars speak so much to me. That's one of the beautiful things about Hasoda for me, as far as I've experienced in his films. Even back with Digimon, it filled me with this sense of, like, just inspiration. The feeling I got and the feeling I still get, honestly, watching the scene where everybody across the world joins together to fight this one thing and to cheer our heroes on, and you get to be a part of it, it's like, is this what people felt like watching Peter Pan back in the day? And it's like, clap, clap, clap and bring Tinkerbell back to life, and then, like, it actually works and it happens? Like, 
the power of the many supporting the few. <laughs> like, <laughs> that shit just feels good. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it right now. I'm getting goosebumps discussing a Digimon scene. And that should tell you that I'm either literally certifiably insane or that it was just a well-made, well-thought-out scene with the great theme of working together as one even if you don't know people. When the first person joins in, I'm not going to spoil a big chunk of the movie, but since I already told you it's basically the plot of our war game, the Digimon thing, if you've seen it, you already know everything that happens, except that it doesn't involve Digimon. So when the first person chimes in from outside the main group of characters to help beat the AI, to help beat Love Machine, it's a boy from Germany, and I've actually been taking German lessons on Duolingo for like three weeks now so it was really weird to me because it, it's all text bubbles because they're like online people commenting and uh i read it and i was like wait a second <laughs> that's like the intro to german like two phrases that i know and i didn't even process it was german at first i just read it and that like was a weird thing where i felt like wait a second now i feel connected to this more so than I would have before. Like, I have an understanding now I didn't before that even though these words aren't in the language I speak, their meaning is still being conveyed to me. And that felt very unifying in a way. But the, the guy says, here, take my account, use it please. And then a bunch of other people start pouring in, seeing that one small act of sacrifice turning into a wave of people just trying to help do what's right. And call it cheesy, call it the power of friendship, do whatever you will, but <laughs> there's a reason it gets put in so many things. It's powerful. The sen Humans are social creatures, and this sense of community and just being together is so ah, natural, it's primal, it's, it's good. It's just a good feeling. And Hasoda catches that in both of the films that I've seen. I'm really excited to talk about Mirai. I want to do it soon. I didn't want to do it so early because I don't want to talk about all of my favorite movies and then just not have anything to talk about. So I wanted to space them out more. But I'm so excited to watch more Hasoda films because I know now that they are just more of my favorite films waiting to happen. Watching this movie, it's not sadness. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an overly emotional person, but when a film does something right, sometimes I just get like a swell of emotion. Like in this movie, they so perfectly capture that feeling I've been chasing ever since the first time I saw it when I was like eight or nine sitting in my parent. When did the Wii come out? 2008. So I would have been. When did the... I don't know. I'm not going to look it up right now. But what I'm saying is I was around 10-ish. We'll say around 10. And I, I watched that scene for the first time where these characters that... From the time I was like six, I was renting the VHS of the first volume of Digimon, which was like six episodes, from the library every single time I went. And watching it with my grandpa, who like isn't even around anymore and then when I watched the movie it was like all of these characters in a bigger adventure than I'd ever seen them on before in higher quality and that that moment where people start flooding in emails to help it's emotional to me and I 
I'm literally choking up a little bit about it right now, and that's so fucking stupid, because it's the Digimon movie, and I, I don't know what it is about it that gets to me. And this movie takes that feeling that Hasoda portrayed specifically in a way that I understood for the first time watching it on YouTube in my parents' basement, and he translates it into this not modern day because it's 2009 and a lot has changed technology wise since then but into this more adult way where i'm connecting with it more now than i might have ever before seeing people come together in a trying time and you know what i'm going to talk about if you just heard me say trying time seeing people unanimously come together and work together to fight this giant menace is something that is kind of hard to believe in now after the COVID-19 pandemic and seeing people yell and argue and fight over something as simple as a fucking mask when people are literally dying from a disease. It feels like mankind is so divided right now and maybe I just really needed to see some togetherness. This is that influx of emotion that I was talking about getting while I watch these movies. It's not sadness that's making me cry right now. I think it's hope. Hope that despite differences in language and community and just location, people can still come together and do the right thing. That the majority of people out there have other people's best interests in mind and that they're willing to work together for the greater good. I don't know. I wasn't expecting it today. And now as I'm sitting here finishing this recording session and getting ready to go to a barbecue with people I don't get to see very often now that I don't work with them, the sense of community is just nice and warm and it's a good thing. I just took a few minutes to regain composure and all of that, and I was really debating whether I should uh, edit out all the parts where I was crying and try to re-record those sentiments without the uh, cringe factor of crying about an adapted Digimon movie plot. So I came very close to deleting it, but the reason I didn't is I feel as though a lot of people just went through a year and a half of quarantine and are just now finally able to go back out into the world. And even then, they can't really go back out into it feeling safe. If you live in America like me, uh, gun violence is on the rise. Mass shootings started as soon as quarantine ended. It's something that's inescapable and there's a lot of, there's a lot of division in the world and a lot of seclusion and things that make you want to isolate yourself just for the safety of it all. And the fact that this movie was able to portray a sense of community to me that made me feel so much less alone than I have in a while is, is it's just something really special to me. And I don't want to edit out the crying because I think that's really why I'm doing these podcasts. Sure, the fact that an audience sometimes joins in and listens to them with me, that's great. I love that you guys are here. But like I said at the beginning of Ghibli-thon, this is more for me. This is a way to collect my thoughts and figure out what I'm actually feeling and thinking. While I watched the movie, yeah, my eyes welled up and I felt that big 
ball of emotion trying to expand outward out of me. But I contained myself. Yet when I was in front of the mic and trying to explain what I was feeling, that's when it hit me in a more real way because I was sitting down and processing it like meditation almost, just meditation where I'm saying everything I think out loud with no prior planning or structure, and you guys are listening to that. It's a thing that I do for me, and I think it's had a positive effect on my mental health and how I see the world, and that's why I love doing it so much. I don't know. I'll probably not cry into the mic ever again. I still don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable to be that vulnerable with people, especially when I don't know who's going to be listening to this in a year even. I don't know if my parents are ever going to listen to it. Who knows, right? <laughs> who knows uh, who in my life will uh, sometime approach me and be like, hey, aren't you the guy that cried about the Digimon movie? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I did. I did cry about the Digimon movie, but everybody has their own things that get to them. I don't know. It's been a rough two years. Just let me have this. You can have it too. It's a great movie. I think anybody that watches it will have a grand time watching it. And <laughs> I don't know. This this is the power that animation has. If it weren't for the ability to portray a digital space with billions of people in it completely through avatars and designs and language bubbles then this wouldn't be possible. I wouldn't have gotten to sit here and have this little wave of emotion and thought. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling. I'm I didn't really talk a lot about the soundtrack. I'll give it <laughs> I'll give it a brief little closer. Hasoda soundtracks are always quality. Um I used to listen to the one for Mirai like every night. Like I'd listen to it to sleep every night. Uh, whenever he needs to, uh, what's the word? Commission a song, I suppose. Commission? I don't know if it's commissioning or if it's just hiring somebody to make it for you. But he, for Mirai and for this movie, used uh, Tatsuro Yamashita, who is somebody who is very hard to find on Spotify, at least. So I might have had to go on very deep searches for any more of his albums. But he makes fantastic move music that plays over the end credits of these movies and the opening credits of Mirai, actually. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to talk more about those two specific songs and how they attracted me to that movie in general when I get to Mirai. But the song for this one also feels very powerful. And it's about I I don't know if you you guys took AP lit like like me, the, the scholar, the, the one year dropout scholar. Uh but the seasons of our life and everything, and it's like how start off in the spring, and then you move into summer, and that's like the prime of your life, and then the fall where everything's starting to wind down, and then the winter, which is the end of your life, or, and uh, eventually the cycle will like continue and all that shit. So like, it's a song about entering the summer of our lives, and after the emotional beats of that movie, it feels nice it just feels good it's a very heartwarming song and i enjoy listening to it and i wish yamashita music was easier to access in america i probably have to order cds or something and then rip them onto my phone but like that's a lot more work than i or most people are willing to put into music these days he's probably on soundcloud like not legitimately like not him on soundcloud but he's probably on soundcloud he was a city pop artist in like the 80s he he's he's like 
uh, a pillar of Japanese music. It's he's fantastic, and his songs are very. I think of him in the same way. Like I put him in that same camp. I put John Denver in as far as American music. It's just positive music with heart felt messages and you can tell that he's singing from a, a, a nice kind-hearted place i don't know it's good shit i very much enjoyed the soundtrack uh the song that's playing during the big ending scene is very good score wise i don't remember off the top of my head who did the score shit um it's not a joe hisaishi score because <laughs> he's not involved in this but uh oh akihiko matsumoto he did a great job with this soundtrack uh that one is on spotify you can listen to this soundtrack on spotify or probably wherever else you listen to music um yeah good soundtrack i'm not saying it's like the legend or uh fucking even howl's moving castle's beautiful soundtrack but it's a good soundtrack it's very enjoyable and i'll give it a couple listens too probably thus ends discussion on summer wars a movie i enjoyed a lot more than i expected to i didn't think that he would have multiple movies that have what I call the Mirai effect on me that just make me contemplate life in a in a much more positive way than Grave of the Fireflies does and I'm very excited to watch the rest of his movies Girl Who Leapt Through Time, The Boy and the Beast he has a new movie coming out in 2021 called Bell I, I don't know if that's like an adaptation of something but I'm excited about it very excited about it I I don't know. This is one of my favorite directors now. No other director has given me the same types of feelings that he has. I I don't know. It's good shit. This episode started off very manic and uh excitable and uh and then I was crying and I'm still kind of recovering from that. Like I'm still there's a part of me that still wants to erase that part, but if you're listening to this, then it means that I didn't. So, ah, okay. Next episode will be coming out on Friday. It will be about <laughs> uh, Infinity Train Book 2, Fractured Reflection. I know I said that that would be the next episode when I said this one, but I'm starting a new job so I can actually afford to keep doing this because, man, rent really does take a lot of money out of your bank account and then not put any back. It's kind of a bitch. So, I don't know. I like eating. I like being alive. So, I guess I gotta get a job. And that I had, like, training and stuff that overlapped with uh, the times I usually used to edit. So, I got the recording sessions for those days done, but I didn't get the editing done, so those episodes didn't, like, come out yet. So, I'm sorry that we're, like, a week off schedule. But also, I'm kind of happy now that odd numbers are Mondays and even numbers are going to be Fridays because that's a weird thing my brain likes. Okay, because like now every movie is going to be an odd number going forward and every TV show or season is going to be like a, a, an, odd, an even number. So it's like one, two, one, two. It, I, it, it makes monkey brain happy. I don't know. Something about it. All right. This has been Lactoons Intolerant episode Trace. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce that. Is it? Do you pronounce the S? Is the S silent? Do you roll the R? Did I roll the R enough even? Episode three... <laughs> Uh, I thank you very much for being here, and I will see you in the next episode. Goldman plays out.